Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac, and today we have another amazing episode where we talk about the encounter cards coming out of Beetle and Grimm because they bring to us an absolute awesome way to prep and no prep your way to having successful encounters with the monsters at your table. That is to imply the ones that you bring, not the ones that show up on their own. But the other thing that I can say is that uh, for the Patreon content, while we have chosen which of the two APs we will put out, I thought, wait a minute, there is more. So I dug deep and actually found the world building episodes for that AP. So I've gone even farther back in time and I'm going to edit those and put those out first. That way you can get a look at using the mini game kingdom to set up the world that the actual play will be in, which eventually will be fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Also, I joined to start playing as a pro DM. And if you are interested in a game like that, you can check the show notes and it will be in there. And if that one fills up, I will just have to make more. But that is enough of me talking. Instead, we will hear Mitch and I talking to John and Charlie from Beetle and Grimm's because that means let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today on the episode, we have two returning guests, special guests, who are creating what I would say debatably is some of the absolute best Dungeon Master material. Um, and they have branched out, and I'm sure they'll get into all of the amazing things they're doing. But we have John and Charlie from Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse. Um, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having us. Oh, great to be here. So as always, we have our interview section, but rather than ask our standard question, because you're a returning guest, is there anything that you, what have you been up to since last time you were on? And I was actually pretty surprised. I think it was like 2021, um, the last time we had you all on. Wow. Uh, so you've done a little bit, good. just go to the website and you'll see. So one of the things that I think all of us here at BNG are super excited about because it's very different from what we're known for, I think, is that we are going to be part of the D&D Adventure channel. Um, and we have produced a show called Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill that is going to launch in November. And uh, we're, we're, we had a great time making the show. So many funny and generous and great guests, players and DMs. And so we're super excited for people to see that show, for it to get on the air. And yeah, like like I said, that's that's going to be mid-November. And to be to be clear, when John says we had a great time making the show, we did, but we also had a chaotic, spazzy, run around, hair on fire time because <laughs> it was. It was, yeah, we were filming three episodes a day for, you know, to get 20 episodes out and just. A great experience, but also hard work. Yeah. I, I, people do this for a living, which seems weird to me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure how, like, if you're going to shoot like 
you know, like for six months or something like that. I don't know how you do that. I only had the opportunity of something like that once. Um, and then I was instructed to bring six change of clothes. Right. Because it was, you know, you're giving the illusion that, oh, it's a different day. And then I'll, I remember one a guy I only saw one time come in and he's like looking at all of the clothes. And he's like, that works, that works, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. And then just disappeared into the ether. And I never saw that man again. He was, I was the clove guy. I don't, I don't know what he was doing other than that. <laughs> I don't think we had the budget for a clothes guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's the specific product we'll definitely be talking about, but there's, you've also branched out into a lot of other games uh, or not other games, but not just D and D products as well. So can you talk a little bit about some of those adventures? Yeah. Talk about Absalom, John. Yeah, uh, we you know we we did do a couple of products for Pathfinder. One of them is our Absalom Gold Edition, which is you know if you want to have any kind of an adventure or a campaign set in or around, in or around Absalom, the the largest city, uh, this is completely tricked out with everything you need to immerse your players in that city. Uh, I I was the project manager on that one. I loved working on it. Loved the the collaborators over at Paizo. Super fun to work with them. Uh, we also did uh, player character chronicles. So these are full on books where you can chronicle everything about your character from the character sheet to all of the rule book elements that are specific to just that class that the, the character is, along with a, a huge journal in the back in order to doodle and take notes and capture everything that your hero experienced on their however many years long journey. That one was a really interesting product, especially with the idea of how often the player's handbook, when I think of a player's handbook, I always think of like this thing that is held together by duct tape and hope um, <laughs> because it's often the, I mean, it's just the one that gets passed around so much because it's like, oh, we're going to level up and I'm here. And then Mitch is on the side waiting of like, okay, 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 come on. You're like, why did you go first? You got to pick all those spells. Like you're going to take forever. And then just passing it. But the idea of having everything that a character class needs in their own book and saying, well, like just flip open the thing that you have right in front of you um, was really, really cool. And I had the cleric one um, and went through that and I was very impressed. Yeah. For me, that's as a player and I don't get to play that often, but I, I am the kind of player that always appreciated, not the standard character sheets, but the ones that had all these other additional options that I could take those notes and, and know where they are. And I just love the idea of coming to the table and everybody else is just there either their digital character sheet or just a one or two page sheet and you just drop this book down. Beyond that, I love the idea of those old school DMs going, oh, your character died. Uh, hand me your character sheet so I can rip it up and handing them a book and saying, good luck, buddy. Let's see you rip this book in half. <laughs> Straight into the fire. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, so we do have a surprise question and I'll have it relate to the topic at hand. But what is... When you think D&D, what is the first monster that comes to your mind? And it could be, obviously, dictated heavily by your personal experience. But yeah, like I say D&D, what's that monster that pops into your head? Strangely, I don't know why, but uh, Gelatinous Cube is the one that, that, that comes to mind. 
when I was a kid playing it and you're, you're fighting orcs and you kind of know what orcs are because you read Lord of the Rings and, you know, dragons and, you know, all the stuff that seems very familiar. And then you hit a gelatinous cube, usually because you hit a gelatinous cube <laughs> and you like full on sprint into it. That is like just that's that's the weirdest gosh darn thing I have <laughs> ever seen. And I'm really doing something that's vastly different than just an extension of all these books that I read when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I would say the mind flayer. I have a very strong memory of being picked up by my parents after one of my first D&D games. And I they could tell I was absolutely distraught. And I got into the car and they said, what's wrong? What, what, what's going on? What happened? And I had to explain to them that my character had their brain sucked out of their head and they exploded in laughter. I, I, I just, I could not understand what was so funny about my character's brain getting sucked out of its head, but they thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that experience. Oh, that's awesome. You're like, did you have a fun time? No, but I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, I, we, we, what is your answer? Uh, I mean, guys, come on. It's called, when I think of Dungeons and Dragons, it's called Dungeons and Dragons. So, therefore, I totally agree with John. Mind Flayers. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I, Mind Flayers would probably be my answer because my introduction to D&D was before I even knew what D&D was, and that was the Baldur's Gate games. And there's, in Baldur's Gate 2, there is this terrible, amazing part where, of the game where you're stuck in the Underdark. And the worst part of that is when you get caught by these mind flayers. And it's 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 just like watching a good horror movie. You're like, I hate this and I love this. And that that was an experience. Once I learned what D&D was, I was like, came to that mind flayer page and was like, oh my gosh, these that was D&D. Okay, it's all making sense now. <laughs> well, I can see the through line because mine is, like you said, Dungeons and Dragons. So Displacer Beasts. And the, I think it was the first time that I came up against something that felt so smart. And so it was like that idea that like, because everything else, like if you're playing a video game, it's just kind of known quantities. They can only be, you know, at that time, the video game can only be so smart and so many things could happen. But the idea that this thing could stock it's prey and then also just be that hard to hit. And then it's like, okay, what, what are we doing? Like, what is this game? What is happening right now? Uh, so for me, it's always been uh, the displacer beast. Uh, and I realized that I've guessed it on a podcast and I also chose that answer and it'll eventually come out. But now that we've got that out of the way, the product we're talking about, if you guys want to, I guess, kind of pitch the product I already have in my hands. And I actually let someone borrow literally last night. Um, Cause it was like one of their first times running a game. So I just brought the cards with me and said, Hey, try these. And so then they used them um, and they enjoyed them. So there you go from someone who's DM for well over 15 years to someone who DM for 15 minutes. These seem to work really well. That's awesome. So these are our encounter cards. Anybody who has purchased one of our boxed editions is going to know what an encounter card is. What it is, is it's a, it's a, it's a piece that can hang on your DM screen that shows the art of what the monster is on the front for the players to see while they're encountering it, and the stat block and or lore on the back for easy reference for the DM. So we, we always include these encounter cards in our boxes, but this is the first time that 
DMs can grab encounter cards just on their own as their own pack. And what we've done is we've taken some of the most popular Dungeons and Dragons monsters and commissioned all new art for them. So for those players who have seen the art in the monster manual for a troll a million times, this is the, you know, the DM's chance to say, you see this and put down the art that the player has never seen before and have the stats on the back. The other additional thing that we added for this product that you won't see in the encounter cards that are in our boxes is something called DM Tactical Tips. This is a little sidebar that sh that explains to the DM how to run that monster in a very smart way, in a very tactical way. And we partnered with a writer, Keith Amon, who wrote the book, The Monsters Know What They're Doing. He also has a very popular blog of the same name. And he worked with us to write these tactical tips. Hey, if you're running a red dragon, these are the things that a red dragon is gonna do tactically to be most effective. So that when you're playing, you know, when you're having combat with the players, hopefully you have some of those moments where the players are like, oh, wow, that was really smart. <laughs> that was a good move. Uh, that, so that's what we're sort of going for with that added element on the back of the encounter card. I love the tactical tips. It's such a great idea because a as a DM, he uses the the monster cards. The uh, ones that I have do not have that. And so if I'm pulling those cards out and was not thinking about this encounter a lot beforehand, the card doesn't tell you here's a way to run the monster it says here's what the monster does as far as attacks and abilities and and that's all very useful but i think what ends up happening without any sort of planning is every battle becomes fight to the death and too often especially if you're using characters that have only really good melee attacks it's just run at the players get right up to the players and hit them hit them hit them and i love the idea of just a little blurb that says here Game Master, use this. This is the way these monsters might be fighting, uh, might be thinking, might be doing things besides just attacking on the battle map, might have these other goals. And it can make, I think, the encounters a lot more interesting than just before you guys jumped on, we were just, Neil and me were saying, what were we saying? That uh, a monster's just a uh, bag of hit points, right? That it's just, just bring it down. Yeah, tactical monsters. Yeah, without thinking about it, what's the difference between, and I like that I can point to, like, what's the difference between this owlbear or, like, you know, the ogre above me? If you don't do anything differently than I run up and I start hitting you and you start hitting me until one of us is dead, not much. Like, they're, I mean, they look a little bit different, but at the end of the day, okay, they were just bags of hit points. You know, the old school method, what was, uh, I think, what is it, every ogre is 100 gold? Uh, and so then you just that, like that's all you saw I mean, because you're also basing experience on gold. So you're just like, aha, 100 experience. There you are. And you run over and you kill the ogre and you take him. Uh, but the idea that it's like, OK, but is the what tactics is that ogre going to imply imply? No, 
apply? Are they going to throw <laughs> a rock and then run forward? Are they going to, is one going to stay back and throw rocks while another one runs forward? Even like to go to the, the goblin, uh, which is the one that um, I had the, the friend of mine use last night, the idea that they stayed tactical. And like it was the larger goblin that was there that ran forward and the other two stayed back and shot the party the whole time. Um, one person definitely went down. Uh, and you, but that's the thing is like with smarter goblins, they can become very terrifying, especially for level one party. Yeah, I mean, anything that takes away the number of times after an encounter, I go, darn it, I should have done that instead. Or, or, you know, and some of the stuff's really pretty smart. Like, you know, the monsters that are immune to poison, they can breathe poison or something like that, where they just run right up on you and start and start uh, gassing the place up. I mean, because, look, let's face it, the players have spent lots of time figuring out how to min-max all their abilities. So, you know, a little, get it, even in the, uh, the playing field a bit for the monsters is a good deal. I think when if you were running games as a DM, as a GM, and uh, you do something tactical with your monsters and your player's reaction is being upset, like, oh, that was too small. Like, why are they doing that? Like actual being upset or angry. One, I would say maybe maybe that's an immaturity on the player, but also maybe you're not running your monsters tactically enough that you're missing opportunities so that you've developed players who expect the monsters just to run up and hit, to do their abilities, to not think, to not run away when their numbers are dwindling. And I think that that's something that all of us, when running games, if we want it to feel like a realistic world and the monsters to feel realistic, they should act differently uh, in every battle. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the one of the other really big things about the tactical tips is also being more prepared. If we also want to just keep keep the conversation super honest, it also helps when you're not as prepared. <laughs> yeah. It helps both directions to say like, okay, I don't need to be or I in theory I shouldn't be digging through a stat block when we're in combat. That doesn't make a lot of sense and it really slows things down. So if I have kind of the the tactical tips of what would this monster most likely do when it's in this scenario, then I can do those things um, and do them well rather than trying to say, okay, it has this much decks. Uh, so am I going to, or, oh, wait, no. So then it, wait, okay, no, I'm going to say, okay, this goblin, and I can read the tactical tip right now. It says basically slippery hit and run. Okay, you come up to me. It literally says I'll use my bonus action to disengage and run away and keep shooting you. And so I, I'll i do that. And then I don't have to think about, okay, so then how would I do, what, what, what am I going to do next? And then the other thing is, especially when you start Im- implementing battles that are more complicated. What I've done before, especially if I have basically NPC characters versus my PC characters, I basically wrote out like a round by round kind of guess of like what would these characters do again rather than like digging through spell lists of like okay what would be the best tactical choice here no i don't know that that's gonna work like the fireball like you know and so i've written down round three i'm gonna shoot a fireball as long as it doesn't hurt you know many of my other monsters that are on the table but like having that helps both be more prepared and oddly enough it helps being less prepared as well Help making the DM's job or GM's job easier has always been sort of the the north star for Beyond Grams. That's that's why we you know made those box sets in the first place to just make it easier and get more people 
comfortable to do it, and which just helps the whole game ecosystem. That is always the hardest thing. It's finding people who are willing to sit in front of five or six other people and, and run the game, tell the story. So anything you can do to make their job easier and make, you know, make gameplay better, that's that's we're all in on that. That's that's what we do. So you guys have done this a lot. You've created a whole bunch of monsters and you've had to ask yourselves the questions of what kind of tactical tips are we going to put for these different monsters that some of which have been around for forever. And I know we have uh, DMs out there, GMs, world builders that like to create their own homebrew monsters at times. What would your advice be for somebody sitting down and going, this is a great idea. I want to create a little a little thing for my my monster of a tactical tip, just how they fight, how, when they flee, what they avoid, what their goals in battle are. How do you approach a monster and what are the questions that you ask about those monsters to create the tactical tips that you do? Yeah, I you know, I think one of the things I would say is keep it simple. Don't have three paragraphs worth of tactical tips. It should be something that you can just sort of at a glance remind yourself. And then when you're building them, it's great to look at what are the attacks and defenses and special abilities that that monster has that are unique to that monster. And how are you going to use those to have that monster stand out? One thing that I always forget about is monsters with reach, right? They have a 10-foot reach. They can attack you and then move away without provoking an, an attack of opportunity because of that reach. That's the kind of thing I always forget. And the tactical tips take those into account. So even reading through my pack of encounter card tactical tips, I start to train myself to say, oh, yeah, when a monster has reach, I should be using that to my advantage. When a monster has a ranged attack that's more powerful than its melee attack, it should be using that ranged attack. Uh, so, you know, I, I I always start with what's unique about that monster. And to that point, just like, you know, look at what the monster has that's an advantage. I, I, one of the things that, again, with the tax of opportunity is, I can't remember what monster I was looking at, is, but basically... You know, I was trying to prepare for how I was going to do the combat, but oh, like you could fly in and attack and then just bail and yeah. and but then they'll be having an attack of opportunity. But then you you look at the individual monster, this this, this guy has like 200 hit points. Attack of opportunity away, dude. I that this is this is fine. You know, that this is this is still an yeah, I might get hit once in a while, but this is an acceptable tactic. I'm gonna do worse to them than they're gonna to do to me. I'm looking at your Roper right now, the tactical tips of oh. Roper, a creature that a lot of uh, our listeners will be familiar with. And I'm looking at your tactical tip of light snack, that Ropers know heavy armor is hard to bite through. They prefer <laughs> unarmored and lightly armored prey. And to me, they're, like that tactic says, well, what's the goal of this Roper? This Roper wants, an orc might want to kill you because you're in their territory. A goblin might want to kill you and steal your things. The roper is hungry <laughs> and so <laughs> has learned, oh, these these creatures with shiny things on them, like avoid them more and go for the lighter. And just picking up that card with that roper and having this battle, 
Uh, it tells me what the Roper's goal is, but it changes that battle in an interesting way because now the wizard who is used to, oh, the, the knight runs in and takes the the damage and is the the tank. Well, that Roper just walks past that knight, takes that hit and just like, no, 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 first I'm hungry. That's where I'm... And I can just see my players at the table just going, oh no, <laughs> he's going for the wizard first. Why is this dumb beast going for the wizard? But there's a reason there and there's a goal. And I love that. And yeah, I think it's cool that you you had to ask those questions about what the monster wants that has led to these cool tactical decisions. Yeah, and I think that makes for a, a better game play experience for the players too. Because if you don't do that, then it starts to feel like, Oh, the DM's just picking on me, yeah. or the D- the DM is 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 using its own tactics instead of the monster's tactics. Yeah, the DM has realized that going after the wizard in this battle uh, is what the DM wants because the wizard has never had. Right. Yeah, it's it gives a reason for the battle to shift without it being feelings of revenge. <laughs> Yeah, and the wizard doesn't pay me for pizza. For yeah, the there you go. Years, so. <laughs> He's going down. Is there well, a tactical <laughs> card that uh, that helps a DM go after the person who hasn't paid for pizza? <laughs> I mean, I used to be that player. I used to always sit next to the DM, and I would get him an extra cheeseburger if I ever went anywhere. And I got a lot of real fun stories out of that <laughs> specific campaign. But I think the other thing that I, th- that I think we all kind of started to hit on at the same time is that there's a really big difference between the idea of these tactics tactical tips and gotcha like Mm. that's not fun that's not going to be fun for the players of like haha i got you with this thing that you weren't expecting it's like no these are the tactics that these monsters would employ we're i mean in the same way that you the players are employing them it's not to say you know not to say like well the roper out of its mouth fall okay this is very funny and i like it so no judge me all you want but out of its mouth falls the previous wizard that it ate um and a necklace of fireballs and you all die (laughs) but the like obviously that i mean that's a funny story to think about that's not very funny if you actually do that but if you do please tell me uh but the idea that like you're not pulling gotchas these are the the tactics that you are approaching the battle with regardless of the choices that the players are making because these are the choices that the monster is going to make no matter what adversary it's going to face it just so happens of course that it's your players interacting with it also the art for the roper i feel like it's the first time that I'm like, this is what a Roper has always looked like in my mind. Going from, I don't even notice it. It is just a feature in this room to, that is a terrifying thing that is definitely pulling me in to consume <laughs> me right now. Um, so that's, yeah. So credit, certainly credit to whoever is doing the art. Um, because that, like I said, this is the first time like I felt like the Roper in my brain was out on the card. It's really fun to work with a lot of talented artists. We that is we are very lucky that we have a lot of a lot of people we know that do great great work. It's 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 always fun to have sort of have in your mind and give a like an art order. I want I kind of want this. This is what we're thinking of, and what comes back is different and vastly better than anything you could have you could have asked them for. And it's it's, it's fun. I think for non-artists, and I, I certainly include myself in there. Like I, I, I can do, I can do well, and it's often that I can see something and kind of replicate it. So I don't know how qualified I consider myself as an artist, but I feel like it is like the closest thing to like modern day sorcery of just like you know the art <laughs> order, and then someone producing something and be like, I don't, 
I don't know. Do you do you have a connection with a dark god or like I don't know how you went from a blank something. But a surprising number to of that. them do. Oh, okay. Well, uh, well, never mind. Yeah. Now we know. No, okay. it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it leads to some sort of sticky rights issues. Yeah. regarding the, the work that we commission. Yeah. I love it. every every artist is a warlock. That's that's <laughs> what we learned today. I think yeah. uh, like as a as somebody who loves world building, I think that. You know, you guys talked at the beginning about how the new art is great for the players, but just since we're on this, I think it's also great for the DMs because art can spark uh, imagination and make us ask different questions. I'm going to stick with the Roper picture, and and Neil, maybe we need to post the Roper picture as the image for this podcast episode, just so you know our our listeners can can really see it. But like, I see this Roper picture and. I get drawn into the image of its mouth being open and it looks like it's not this just black inside this mouth, which most creatures would have, but there's a light glowing from within it. It looks like a hole that is deep. And, and so I start to ask my question of, okay, you're seeing the surface of the roper. How deep does the roper go? Is it like an iceberg? And if you get eaten by this roper, do you fall into a, a deep, chasm and and i start to ask myself that and go yeah what is that how ropers are in in my world that i've created and that all has come from a new piece of art so i think as much as the art is exciting for the players to see new art it can also be exciting but also helpful to the dms to ask oh some different questions about how these monsters are in your world this is a hilarious example because I saw, obviously I saw the same art and did not come up with the same idea at all. Cause my thought was like, okay, what if it's actually like a more of an extra dimensional space akin to like a Ooh. bag of holding? Oh gosh, that's or, even worse. <laughs> oh, and then what if they ate someone that had a bag of holding and then the whole thing blows up into like a portal into the astral <laughs> And then Ropers uh, eat plane. your entire party and now yeah. you're in a weird place with other, other people who have been eaten and how do you escape? <laughs> <laughs> the other question that I had, because I know you were you were working with someone to like have these tactical tips, like was there a tip that like came like basically came across your desk and thought, wow, that's like that's a really novel way to approach that monster in terms of like tactics. Oh, God, there were so many of those, but you're going to make me try and remember one of them. On Who the is your and favorite I'm... child and why? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, let me let me think about that one. Which one, like, really? Okay. I, because there were a few where I was like, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. That is really smart. Okay. I'll, while you're thinking, I will give you my go-to. And this isn't very – this isn't kind. This is not Neil being a kind DM. This is different. Um, so my number one way to introduce players to a gelatinous cube is via a pit trap that they fall into – that a gelatinous cube is then dropped into because oftentimes <laughs> players don't think about the, the vertical aspect because we're often looking at a, a horizontal two dimensional map. Uh, so adding that third dimension really starts to um, kind of mess with their heads more than a little. So yeah, the idea of dropping into a pit trap and then the gelatinous cube dropping on them in the pit trap. Yeah. It's a, it's a con trap. They're, they're only, he's only thinking in two dimensions. <laughs> yeah, we got him. <laughs> I can't think of a particular one. I mean, the, the two, and I can't, I can't remember the, the creatures, but the, just the idea of, you know, a lot of times what their, what their breath weapon is or what their effect is, is poison and they're immune to it. So 
lean into that. You be walk, be right up in the middle of the party and then let loose of it and just kind of live in that poison. I don't know why that hadn't occurred to me <laughs> previously, but it's just like, oh, that yeah, totally got totally do that. And then the the just being able to think of, well, yes, they get an attack of opportunity, but hit points are high enough that I just do not care. Well, the other one I think of is when you mentioned the reach, the other thing to think about is when the players provide you with attacks of opportunity that they may not realize. Right. Um, and you could be introducing the element of reach via that because they walk through what they don't think is a threatened square only to find out that they've been hit because they have a weapon or um, some sort of attack that goes that 10 feet. And now they realize, oh, OK, now we have to start thinking differently because of this. Yeah, this one, you know, I always this one may be a little obvious, but I love the ones where the monster has tremor sense or blind sight right and maybe they don't have the ability to do darkness but it suggests hey put them put the party in a situation where their enemies can snuff out the light or you know put them into a situation where that that blind sight is going to give that creature the advantage that a power like that can give them I love that because you think of, well, the same thing with like the roper attacking the the person wearing, you know, not wearing armor in the same sense that you could have, you know, I don't, it's not, I don't know of a better way to say it, but like a less intelligent monster can still have good tactics because they've learned this helps right. me. The idea that do they have like a water skin that basically, do they, basically do they have a water balloon that can easily burst um, and then douse a torch? And so now at a lower level encounter, you walked into a cave with a torch. The first thing this monster does is take your torch out. And now they have, like you said, the dark vision or blind sense or tremor sense. Well, you know, Bulets uh, make wonderful wizard pets and uh, wizards have darkness spells. So, yeah, you can you can really mess up a, a party with one of those. That's terrifying oh. and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I've ever done that. I don't condone that kind of violence. But should you out there in the listening audience condone violence, I highly recommend it. Yeah. We've merely given you to the tools. What you do with them is is up to That's you. That's right. Well, and one of the other things that I've thought with these tips is it's you know a really common thing that I do, a common thing that most people that run games do is reskinning. I mean, that's kind of the, the term for it. So there's nothing to stop. Like, you know, there's goblin tactic. What, there, there's nothing stopping me from slapping a picture of a kobold on the front of it. And it's just a more tactical group of kobolds. You know, I was like, oh, no, Neil, you've gotten rid of pack tech. It's, no, who cares? Like, that's not the that's the, that's not the important thing. It's making each battle memorable because it's that those tactics Um, in the sense that, yeah, taking whatever you have. The other thing I think of is seeing it and saying, you know, I don't think those are my goblins. And so, like, I think the intrinsic benefit of looking at these tactical tips is it's going to either be a yes or a no for, like, the way you want to run that individual battle where it's like, well, no, these aren't these aren't the goblins that they'll face necessarily this time. These are goblins that are melee focused. They are going to run in. They are not going to run away. Or there's two sets. One runs in and these are the more ranged based and then they're going to shoot and they'll run away. They'll leave the other ones. But I mean, 
maybe that maybe that's what you're doing. But again, like I think thinking through and I guess that's the crux of the whole conversation is like, think about what your monster would do prior to being in the moment where you have to decide what does my monster do? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the realities of, of, of playing any of these games is that we've all been on all sides of it. So you can pretty much guarantee that most of your players have read the monster manual and Bolo's guide and, and whatever, and pretty familiar with things. So even if they're you're running familiar monsters, if you switch up the tactics, like I say, it can be just provides a, a lot more fun. Do you guys have any other like any any last thoughts for DMs out there in the vein of making their combat and their monsters more tactical? Why and how they should aim for that? Well, just real quick. I mean, I think one of the things that I always try to focus on probably too much, honestly, because then then if somebody, if I forget that one of my players has a power that kind of nags my, uh, my, my, my plans, it, it's unfortunate, but think about the environment. Think about, you know, what, uh, what kind of tactical environment you're introducing the fight in. Is it cramped? Is it a big wide open space? You know, certain monsters are a lot more dangerous if they can move around and, and other ones. And then just, you know, constraining what the player is going to be able to do. Just even a normal encounter on a bridge over a chasm is way more fun than just a normal encounter. Um, so that would, that's my. Yeah. And to, to Charlie's point, one of the things I one of the tactical tips that just was sparked for me is there are some creatures that do extra damage to structures and items more than more so against creatures and some of the tactical tips are reminding the dm hey with this monster what if you are on a bridge and the monster decides to attack the bridge and not you or maybe you're in a crystalline structure that's where the roof is being held up by yes. these pillars and you know it makes it very unpredictable right makes the makes the creature smarter and not necessarily in an intelligence way but like you said earlier they're doing what they know to do and so all of a sudden you've got this golem they're not attacking you they're attacking the pillars but it makes it 10 times more dangerous than if they were attacking you and you've got to do something about it so i i, I love stuff like that i realize how i haven't said this before is is beyond me um, one of the other things I think about always is no matter what the level of the creature is, oftentimes like your players are interacting with them where that creature lives. I really, really like adding layer actions regardless yeah. of the level. Mm. So at 20, like you said, so does it slam against the wall, attack your player, and then the layer action comes around and a few spikes fall. And I need XYZ player to go ahead and make me dexterity saving throws or be hit by the things that are falling. So adding that in, or like the goblins, like the goblins set up an ambush. Like that means they knew they had plans to attack you. So what happens? Is it that a certain trap goes off? Is it that they call out to another set of goblins? Is it X, Y, and Z? So yeah, I really enjoy adding layer actions um, regardless of the level. That's the great. Encounter. Yeah, I love that. I think you guys got your next project. You know, a book about uh, tactics with different environments. You just because <laughs> <laughs> that that is you guys all all kind of called that on that, and I think that in, the environment around adds to how monsters are going to attack and what dangers and and boons they're going to be as well. 
Okay, we have a couple more questions, and my favorite piece, my favorite part of every episode is all of them, and I love everyone equally. <laughs> and but no, one of the things I enjoy the most is asking, "What is some air quote homework that we can send or give to people? Is it books? Is it movies? Is it comics? Is it another actual play? What are some things like pieces of media that we could have people interact with to like better understand kind of the conversation that we've had so far?" Well, I'll jump in. I'll jump in and do the obvious one, right? And that is, I do recommend people check out Keith Ammon's "The Monsters Know What They're Doing." He has several books on this subject, and one of them is, if I recall correctly, like a book of lairs and how monsters use lair actions. So that's one that I would uh, recommend wholeheartedly. Yeah, you stole mine, John, <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> I, right. I double down on that. They're they're great books. They're really fun to read, and and I think they're honestly they're great if you're just homebrewing monsters too, because you can get at you know there's there's sort of staple tactics, you know, hit runs, you know, that kind of stuff, reach, and you can just you can make when you're creating your homebrew monsters if you come up with them with tactics in mind. I think it's a lot more a lot more fun other than just it's it it looks different and it. It stomps better. Mine would just be task oriented. I'm my brain's buzzing now with different tactics that monsters could have and the kind of tactical tips that I would create for certain monsters. And yeah, I love this idea. These cards are totally awesome. Uh, and I would say for the DMs out there who like to homebrew things before your next session, just figure out with the the couple of monsters that you have that you're like, okay, I think this is going to come into play this session. Uh, come up with one or two tactical tips for that monster that's going to determine the way that they do battle that is a little bit different than just run in and hit. And I think that you will be really pleased with just how different the battle is with a couple of tactical tips that you come up with. That's really good. The the other one I think of is like if you can think of like from your in your mind, dear listener, when you think of the idea of like a monster a week type show, that's a really good place to look. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to say like, oh, yeah, it's the peak of cinema or anything like that. But the idea that like whoever's doing those shows knows they only have a tight window to introduce, have this monster do something and then most likely never show up again which is probably the closest thing a lot of the battles in your campaign are going to be like. So I would say like finding, like I think of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer because um, you have the, again, not the peak of cinema, but really good. And again, you're implementing these monsters. They're showing up, they're doing their thing, and then they're disappearing. The other way I could see about that is like if you really are trying to sell a monster is kind of look towards really well-reviewed or like critic i don't even like i don't like that term uh horror movies that you enjoy uh because oftentimes then that that's a longer lead-in of like a, the initial introduction of the monster a second and then eventually that culminating in that larger fight like that would be a way to like make strahd more interesting because often you'll have strahd interact with the player several times before that final battle right. um so those are kind of my two thoughts about those oh supernatural Watch Supernatural. There you go. Or or if, or if you're ancient, like John and I are, uh, Colchak the Night Stalker or X-Files, which of, on which that was sort of based. But Supernatural is way less of a commitment. It's only, what, 15 seasons? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was also my thought. Yeah, like, yeah. Just knock that out in an afternoon real quick. Just watch Supernatural. It'll be fine. The other one I thought is uh, Grimm. That, that one was, is that the one I think it is? I don't know. It was Ichabod Crane. Uh, and he like gets transported back in time. Uh, and that one has like a little, like a little bit of a monster of the week feel as he's trying to solve, solve things. So that's a, another really good one. One that jumps out to me is the movie Aliens. The way that that introduces the monsters in the movie is so terrifying. That is like a perfect example of how to build up the the, the terror and the fear of, of these monsters that are coming for him. I think any movie where the the people in the movie that are afraid of the monster say some sort of phrase like, what are they doing? That should key you into there's a tactic going on here that they don't know. And typically the people in the movie are even more afraid when they're doing something they don't understand. <laughs> and that's that's something to get your brain going. Sleepy Hollow. That's the one I was thinking of. Sleepy uh, yeah, Hollow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's really good. And there's some twists in there where you're like, and the, those are the other things you can find as well. Is like, are you implementing the monster via a twist? Is it the monster... I don't know. Some of it sounds too cliche, but like if you implement it, well, it still works. But like the monster's been in the party the whole time. And then, you know, it's an NPC that's just been there for the laughs, you know, enjoying the struggle. And then that's how, you know, you make a more compelling villain is that they just enjoy watching you succeed or fail because you you're at that, you know, at that point in your story, you're nothing to them. You're just an oddity, something that they can observe. Well, the other the other question, of course, is where can people go to find all of the all of the things that you guys are working on? Uh, Peelingrooms.com. <laughs> dot com. It is right. it is a centralized place. I, I, I mean, I knew the answer. I mean, resolve dot net too. So you can do that. Uh, where would people watch for um, faster purple worm kill kill? So yeah, we're expecting that to be on Freevee, which is okay. which can be found on Amazon Prime. So that's and and also uh, another service called Plex. Plex, Plex, yeah. Oh, believe me, I know. I know about Plex. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say that's 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 a nerdier one. Oh, it <laughs> is. It for sure is. I oh, I oh man, I feel like I will age everything about me in right now. I paid for Plex in its first year and grandfathered myself in, and I have not paid since then. Wow. Uh, because it was only as like a file hosting server. It, like they yep. hadn't even started services of like presenting media. So like you can build your own server and then connect to that server wherever you go. And so I grandfathered in and have not paid. And so then all these things keep popping up and I'm like, I don't know what all these are. Like, I feel like a grandfather when I'm in it. I'm just like, where are all these things coming from? Oh no, um, get off my lawn. And, but <laughs> but I'm excited to know that I could just continue using Plex. And, um, yeah, there's probably, five minutes of every corporate meeting at Plex, which uh, which revolves around getting you onto a plant plan where you're actually paying for things. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're, they're not getting this guy. I, <laughs> um, I have... how, how do we monetize the grandfather? Nope. <laughs> you can keep radar, trying. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, now that, yeah, I've, said it, now that I've said it, now I feel like it's just going to go away. They already knew about you. Yeah, okay, good. Perfect. Well, I I can say, I I know I can speak for myself and I feel like I'm going to speak for Mitch right now, but without a shadow of a doubt, we will absolutely have you back on because you guys, 
keep making all the things that I would want. And I think that's and if I can pitch if I can pitch Beetle and Grimm's for you for a second, it's it's literally just taking the things that you as a DM would probably want to make anyways and doing it at a production level that you just can't do by yourself. Like these, I mean, in like, it's not, and this next statement is in no way to demean or belittle anything, but like these encounter cards, like what's stopping me from making them. But at the same point, why wouldn't I just buy them? And like this, now you have this brand new, like I said, the Roper that I've always seen in my mind is right there. They're available. I let someone, a brand new DM borrow them last night and it helped elevate the game for me and everybody else involved. So it's, again, it's one of those things where like, if you see something, it's basically going to be exactly what you wanted to make as a DM. But again, at a production level, you can't do by yourself. That's new tagline. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. we're going to steal that. Yeah, hey, that's fine. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, our boxes have always been something that is is expensive, right? It's it's costly. You know, we we obviously think it's definitely worth it, but it they're not cheap. Well, our encounter cards are are a product that almost anyone can afford, uh which is why, you know, it's one of the reasons why we're so excited about them because we're we're able to offer something that you know, if you can't afford a box and you're a DM, you know, hopefully you can afford this and still bring some of that immersion to your table. Well, perfect. Like I said, we'll have to we'll have to have you back on soon. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, John. Appreciate you both. Thanks, guys. Great Great fun. As always, we want to thank John and Charlie for coming on, sharing some time with us, some tips, some tricks, some stories and everything in between. And of course, if you want to get a hold of us and let us know about the way that you've been building tactical tips, the way that you've been introducing monsters to your world, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, head over to your social media platform of choice, and hopefully we're there, and hopefully we're posting more things. My dungeons for Dungeon 23 have been posted. Daily Demnastics are on the main feed on Twitter, aka X, and uh, typically those move into our Instagram, Facebook as well, Uh, but go there, check it out, and if there's a social media platform that you think we should be on, hit that email as well. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Geek Wars, and more. And as always, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing gods, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.